Hi there, and welcome to the LGBTQ Plus STEMcast, a podcast where we interview LGBTQ Plus scientists from different STEM fields. I'm your host, Annabelle Gong, and in today's episode, we will be talking to Dr. Yost Maginda, an astrophysicist and postdoc at King's College in London. Hi, Yost. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Joost Migenda. My pronouns are they, them. Um, and I'm originally from Germany. For the past four years, I did a PhD in astrophysics uh, in, in the UK. And since April, I'm now a postdoc uh, at King's College London. That's so awesome. Congratulations on your PhD. <laughs> so how does it feel to finally get over that hump and be a postdoc now? It, it's so, yeah, such, such a weight lifted off of my shoulders but yeah in, in terms of day-to-day -day work um it's really not not that much different so i, I found a postdoc that's was on, on the same experiment I've, I've been doing my phd on um so i work with a lot of the same people as before on the same topic um and really the main difference is i get paid a lot more <laughs> it's always nice to get paid Always nice, especially in academia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your journey through academia. What kind of fueled your, your passion for astrophysics and what you study now? Um, so I've been kind of, I don't know, just, just fascinated by, you know, stars and, and black holes and, and the universe as a whole uh, from when I was in early, in early childhood. But, you know, I, I didn't always plan to study physics. And actually at, at school, I wasn't very interested in physics. I didn't hate it or anything. Um, it was just, you know, classical mechanics and electrical circuits and, and stuff like that. And I just, you know, it, it wasn't, wasn't interesting to me. So for, for the longest time, I thought I'd, um, I'd study math at, at university. But then over time, as I got closer and closer to finishing school, I noticed that you know, while I enjoy math, um, it's not probably not the only thing I, I want to do. Um, and, and, you know, studying math over the long term would, I think it wouldn't kind of keep my interest. So I, I, I was actually quite good at math in, in school and did kind of local math competitions and, and, and so on. And then I got into these kind of math weekends or summer camps organized by, by a local university. And on, on the one hand, I really enjoyed it, but on, on the other hand, you know, after a week-long summer camp of, of, you know, doing just math for six hours a day or something, in, in addition to all the, you know, usual summer camp stuff, I was exhausted. And I, I felt like, okay, I, I can't do this long-term. So I decided to, to study physics instead. And then that was obviously a big change going from, from school to university. And... I hadn't kind of really realized that if, if you go into university, you don't get to do all the all the interesting, you know, space stuff immediately, but you start out with the same stuff you did at school, like classical mechanics, objects rolling rolling down a plane, you know, stuff like that. Except you do it in much more detail, <laughs> and that 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 was a bit of a slog to to get through. Um, but then in my third year of, of undergrad, when we did our, our bachelor's uh, thesis, um, I did a project on, 
on astroparticle physics. So kind of a mixture of, of astrophysics on the one hand and, and particle physics on, on the other hand. And that kind of really captured my imagination and, and got me really excited about physics again. And um, I've, I've stuck to, to that area ever since. Well, that's a really interesting journey. I for sure know that a lot of kids would not go to summer math camps for fun. So you said that you do kind of, you've stuck with this astrophysics and particle physics. So is that what your research is about then too? Uh, it is, yeah. So what, what I did for my PhD in the last four years or so is basically trying to figure out how very massive stars explode. So I look at stars that are something like 10 or 20 times the mass of our sun. And at the end of their life, uh, they don't just, you know, like a glowing pile of ember just dim down over time, but they explode in, in what's called a supernova. And these are, you know, these absolutely you know, magnificent events where this one single star will shine as bright as, as a whole galaxy of, of billions of stars for a short while. So they're really kind of amazing events uh, on, on the surface, but they're also really important because they produce um, a lot of the chemical elements necessary for life. So things like the oxygen you, you breathe or the calcium in your bones or you know, the, the arsenic in, in your favorite crime novel. So you know, life as we know it really could not exist without supernovae. And yet we don't actually understand how they explode. So that, that's what I was trying to investigate in, in my PhD. Were you able to find some answers from that? Um, I mean, I, I still don't know the answer, um, but I, I found a kind of better way to, to uh, figure it out. That's incredible. And I have to ask, do you know when our sun's expiration date will be then? A uh, couple billion years from now. <laughs> Hopefully I won't be so alive don't, then. <laughs> don't, don't, don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, that's incredible. And are you going to be continuing that kind of research uh, in your postdoc as well? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I said at the start, I, I still work on the same experiment now. Um, and maybe we should actually talk about this experiment because it's, it's I think, really interesting. So the, the kind of reason why we don't really understand how, how supernovae explode is because we can't see what's happening right inside the star, right? Like with telescopes, we can, we can only ever see the outermost surface of the star, but we can't look at what's going on inside the center where the explosion takes place. So we need a different way of kind of looking, something that doesn't rely on light. And we're lucky because there is um, a particle that's you know, just what we're looking for, and that's called a neutrino. And the way I always like to kind of explain neutrinos is that they are a bit like ghosts. You know, because ghosts in, in stories can literally go through walls, and neutrinos are just like that. You know, neutrinos interact so rarely with, with anything else that they can just pass straight through walls or through your body, in fact, you've got, you know, trillions of them that are produced in the sun and going through your body right now, um, you know, right as you're listening to this podcast. So these neutrinos can actually escape from inside the, the core of the star, you know, as it explodes. 
and bring information about what's going on inside there to us at Earth. So the experiment I'm working on is, is trying to detect those neutrinos and then use them to learn about, about how the explosion takes place. Wow, that is just incredible. I had no idea about any of this. <laughs> and so it's just so awesome to hear about the type of research that's going on. It's so, it feels so like science fiction. Except without the fiction. (laughs) Exactly, science reality, it's so cool. (laughs) So I can tell that you're super passionate about your research and everything that you do. And you are just an incredible communicator explaining these really, I'm assuming really complicated subjects to me, completely not a astrophysics person, so. Do you do any sort of outreach or science communication within your your field? Um, yeah, I, I started doing a lot of outreach um, during my PhD. You know, starting out very small with a kind of university organized event where they were, you know, sending around an email looking for speakers on whatever research people are doing. And I was like, yeah, I can maybe talk about something for five minutes. Um, and that was... You know, that, that event was a really great start because, you know, not only did it work out really well and it gave me a lot of confidence to continue doing outreach, um, but I also um, got to know another, uh, you know, back then PhD student from, from our department, um, who's now a, a great friend of mine, who's also, you know, doing astronomy, um, looking at these supernovae with telescopes um, and trying to understand them better in, in that way. Yeah, and, and ever since then, I've, I've um, you know, just gone on to do more and, and more different different outreach things. Um, I, I can't decide which one's my favorite. <laughs> I think it, it also helped um, me a, a lot during my PhD, you know, because when you do science, a lot of times what you try to do just doesn't work, and you don't know why. And you can't just ask you know, anyone to, you know, to fix it for you because no one else knows either. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be research, right? <laughs> um, so it can be really frustrating to do science. And, and you know, often, uh, I know I had weeks or sometimes months where it felt like I was not making any progress. And I was just you know, looking for bugs in my, in my data analysis code or, you know, hunting after some other problem, but making no progress whatsoever. And that can be incredibly frustrating um, and you know, really, really bad for your, for your mental health. And I found that doing outreach really helped me there when I was in somewhere deep in the valley because you know, outreach always allowed me to take a step back from whatever problems I had with my data analysis code or whatever else and just focus on, on the bigger picture and, and kind of remember that I look at how stars explode and I'm, I'm detecting these ghost-like particles where you know trillions of them go through your body without you noticing anything. And that's really cool. Like that, that's amazing. <laughs> and you know, taking taking this step back from, from the you know details of, of the day-to-day uh, work and remembering this bigger picture and you know, sharing it with others um, and seeing their excitement about what I was doing reflected back at me. Um, 
that's been so so amazing and that that really helped me you know during the darkest hours of, of, of my phd well just you explaining your your research and getting this like incredible like i'm just blown away by everything that you do so your research is definitely really cool and i'm so glad that you've been able to share it with so many people with the outreach work that you do so as you know we are an lgbtq plus podcast is there any sort of work that you do um within the lgbtq plus community that maybe intersects with your research or your field um th there is so um i i did uh, some outreach with a group called pride in stem which is doing lgbt plus in, in stem activism and, and outreach uh here in the uk and they're running what they call these uh, outthinker events where which are you know events usually in the evenings sometimes in a local pub sometimes in in, in a lecture theater um or in a, in a more formal setting where they have a you know handful of, of scientists um or or engineers mathematicians um from the from the lgbt plus community on stage to talk about their research on, on the one hand but also talk about how being you know being queer um has influenced their their career and how that has intersected with their work and, and, and their life and that's you know really really amazing events um usually um because you get not just the fascinating science but you, but you also get to know the humans behind that and that's i think so so important um because you know you you talked about you, know, you, you mentioned science fiction earlier and you know I, I read a bit of science fiction and i find that the best what you know what the best science fiction stories have in common is that they're not about the science they're about the humans and what it means to be to be human and exploring that in you know in, in in different different worlds different you know different scenarios and i think the same is true for for science like science is sure it's about the universe and and the you know stars we study and everything um but it also always has this human component because that, that's why we do science after all. You're right. I think that we oftentimes separate the scientists from the science when that's really not possible when we're the ones doing the science, you know. So the story I shared, um, for example, at, at one of these Outthinkers uh, events in, in London was about, you know, a research trip I did uh, to Japan which is where our detector uh, is going to be built and where I was staying um, at, at the uh, Kobe University there for, for, for a couple of weeks to, to work with, with colleagues there. And you know, the first evening I was there, we went out to a, to a restaurant to kind of celebrate, get to know each other. And you know, we were chatting with people there, with other PhD students from, from the group. And one of them asked me, um, oh, so you know, do you have a girlfriend? And in, in the, that brief pause after that, there were so many thoughts running through my head and I was trying to remember what's the situation like in Japan? How, you know, how, how is LGBT um, acceptance there? And I couldn't remember. And, and I, was, I was, you know, really fighting with myself, like, okay, 
do I out myself, but I have to work with these people for, you know, in person for the next couple of weeks, or do I stay in the closet? And, and that was really, really tough choice um, that was kind of sprung on me without, without warning. Um, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't have a happy ending. So I, I said no, um, but I do have a boyfriend and the, the Japanese PhD student just said, ah, okay, nice. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, we were talking about something else. But yeah, that's the kind of situation you might face. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that a lot of LGBTQ plus scientists and professionals all over the world experience something similar to how, how you experienced that little moment there. So you mentioned that you have a boyfriend. Um, did you all meet in academia or? No, we, we, we did. We studied uh, together in, in undergrad. <laughs> Took a few years, um, but we, we finally got together. Is he currently in academia as well, or? Um, he is, yeah, and finishing up um, their PhD currently, and hopefully hopefully going to finish soon. I, I, I don't want to say a date, because I, I don't want to pressure them. <laughs> <laughs> um, has that journey through academia, both of you on your separate paths, like affected your relationship at all? Um, it, it has because, um, so we, we, we met each other um, during, during undergrad um, in Germany and they actually stayed in Germany for their PhD and, and I went to the UK. So we've been having this long distance relationship for a bit over four years now. And that, yeah, that, that, that obviously kind of affects your relationship. Yeah, I can imagine long distance is really hard right and i've done it before and i feel like a lot of people are doing it now because of this pandemic does it feel the same in the pandemic i guess <laughs> <laughs> no it, it it feels it still feels different yeah like it's um i mean it's effectively the same and we don't meet in person for a couple of months but it feels like there's a difference between you know just not not meeting in person because of time constraints, travel, you know, financial constraints, and, and, and so on, uh, be, between that and a situation right now where, you know, we can't actually meet because the travel is, is very limited. Like, it's not much of a difference objectively, but it, it feels, still feels very different. And I, I think, you know, in, in the years before, so what, what we used to do um, is, you know, every two or three months, um, we would try to meet for, for weekend or an extended weekend, Friday to Tuesday, maybe. And instead of always, you know, visiting each other at home, what we tried to do was, you know, to make it like, like a small vacation and do weekend trips to, you know, to Paris or to, to Prague or to other, other cities um, to, to explore. So it's not just, you know, oh, we, we meet and, and spend the weekend together, but to, to make it actually something really special. And, you know, if, if we can't see each other very often, at least make the times when we do see each other, make them really special and, and you know, create a lot of, a lot of nice memories. And that's, in, in, the, in the current situation, that's, that's much harder. Yeah, and I mean, it must have been a really nice break from doing PhD stuff all the time too, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> An amazing mental break, just a weekend in Paris, wow. 
have you been able to find any of any ways to keep that relationship special online or I don't, it, well it's 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 special to me <laughs> That's what matters. Um, I, I think it's it's really hard to to kind of give advice to to other people i guess my main piece of of advice is don't take relationship advice from random strangers on the internet <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> no i i think every person and every every couple every relationship is 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 different so you really need to figure out you know what works for you and just because something works for for a friend of yours or something works for someone in a hollywood movie doesn't mean you have to do it that way just figure out what works and if people don't think it's romantic enough or, or something, ignore them. <laughs> that's some that's some good advice. I might have to take that advice from a stranger on the internet. <laughs> As we're wrapping up here, do you have anything else that you would like to share? I, I think uh, what I want to say to you, dear listener, if you're LGBTQ plus and, and in, in STEM, is that there is, you know, this big beautiful community of, of people just like you and I'm, I mean you're listening to this podcast so you apparently you found it no but it's it's really good to have this this sort of community so for me during my my undergrad um, being queer was was not something I, I thought much about and um, it was only during during my PhD that I, I attended something um, called the the LGBT plus seminar um, I, I want to give a big, big shout out to, to that because um, uh, that's it's been been a really amazing experience. Um, and that's this seminar for um, LGBT plus people in STEM from all over the UK, where you get together for a day. So the the, the first time I, t- I attended was in January of, of 2017, and that was the first time I was in this in this lecture theatre with maybe a hundred people all of whom were in STEM, all of whom were queer in, in one way or another. And it, it was a completely mind-blowing experience. Like it, it was so unlike, ever, unlike any conference or, or workshop, seminar, whatever I've, I've ever been to. And, and the whole atmosphere was like electric. Like you could feel there was something in the air. People were happier. People were excited to be there, um, and and uh, it, it was it it was something really really special. And finding that community was was yeah such such a amazing experience, and and um, really helped me develop as 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 a person. Does does that make make sense? We all need to find our our place of community, whether that's in person or online, or here on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us today. And um, do you have any social media that you would like to promote? Sure, you you can find me uh, on Twitter, at Joost Migenda. Well, thank you so much, Joost. Once again, that was Dr. Joost Migenda, astrophysicist and postdoc at King's College in London. Thank you so much to them for participating in our podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LGBTQ STEMcast, and remember to support us on Patreon. See you on the cast next week.